somewhere around there. And, um, and he has always been an encourager of myself. And like I said, he's, he helped, he's helped mentor me in so many ways. And he's been here and preached a few times to us. And so for those of you that have heard him, I know that you're excited to hear him again. For those of you that have not heard him, you are in for a treat. So can you put your hands together for Pastor Dan Holland? Testing one, testing. I probably don't even need a mic. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah. And test, good. Is that good? Am I on now? We get extra points for having sound. We get extra points. Um, let me start with this. I was asked a question several years ago in writing when I was uh, doing some teaching on uh, the subject of human sexuality. And the question was by a parent, and this is what it said. Is homosexuality really a sin? My 13-year-old daughter has, has a good question that I'm unable to answer. If homosexuality is a big no-no in the Bible, then why does God create people with homosexual tendencies? And that was the way the question were phrased, was phrased. That's potentially one of the most divisive topics in our culture today. Our culture has moved from thinking and understanding biblical principles, and now we've actually moved so far away that we have reframed the question about what's right and wrong, and not just with that subject, but in so many areas of our life, including money and alcohol and drugs and even the attitudes and emotions that we feel. We've moved so far away from biblical truth that we're, we're reframing questions in a way that lead us to confusion rather than clarity. Now, last weekend, Bishop Quinones launched a study of Romans by teaching us all about the gospel. The gospel is God's power to change us. Amen? Amen. But as we move into this next section, Paul is shifting from celebrating... God's grace and the power of the gospel into changed lives. And he switch, makes this switch and says, I want to talk to you about what happens when we miss the gospel. When we reject God and whenever we're left to our own choices and devices. So our passage today reminds us of the importance of what we believe. This is very important. If you'll write this down, this is what I want you to leave with. Everything starts with what we believe. Belief leads to thought. Thought and belief together form and shape what I call a mindset. A mindset is nothing more than a set of, of thinking about what we believe to be true. It is the attitudes and emotions that come out of that. And the choice with the way we think and believe is, am I going to think through faith or am I going to think through fear? Faith is when I say, God says this, I'm going, to, I, I'm going to trust God, and even if it means sacrifice on my part, I'm going to trust and believe what he says. Fear says, I wonder how this is going to impact me, and I don't like the way it feels, and I don't like, fear goes another way. So you have belief leads to thought. Write this down. Thought leads to action. 
Our words and deeds come from our thought. Our actions move into habits. Our habits over a lifetime become the character that we're known by. Somebody says, I, I know a Bishop and he's this or that. That's because of the habits you know him by. But then character leads to destiny. And so you have belief leading to thought, thought leading to actions, actions leading to habits, habits leading to character, and your character leads to destiny. If someone tells you, if you want to go back and change your habits or you want to change a habit, just go back and change the way you're, you change what you're doing and what you're saying. I would tell you, I believe that biblically you haven't gone far enough. You need to go back and check what is it that I believe about a particular thing or situation. Now, that's what my book is about. Uh, Bishop says you might want to bring some of those books. It's 70 seconds. It just came out last year. But it is about the power of belief that changes everything about us. Now, if you think it'll be a blessing to you, pick one up out on the table out there. They're $15 each. If you want to give one to somebody, they're $20 for two. Fair enough? All right. I mean, and if you're just going, I am, I am broke and God knows I'm broke, I will give you one. So this is about if you think it'll be a blessing to you, Pick one up out there. All right, let's launch into Romans chapter 1. We're talking about belief. Romans chapter 1. We're going to pick up where Bishop left off last week with verse 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that changes, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Please underline that. The righteous will live by faith. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has, been, has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I love what Paul says about God. God is obvious. That's what Paul says. He says, what can be known about God is plain to us because he made it plain. When you walk outside, what do you see? Last night we were driving into our, 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 our home and, and Beth, my wife said, look at that moon. That's the strangest moon I've ever seen. Well, I don't know if it's the strangest one she's ever seen, but we don't look at the sun or the moon or the stars and think, well, nothing created them. No, we look at the creation and we say there must be a creator. Just makes sense. A tree, an ocean, a horse, a dog, a cat. Now, I need to ask God about the, creating those cats, but that's, but that's a whole other thing. But no kid would ever conclude well, that stuff just showed up. It doesn't make sense. No one, as they reflect on life and observe nature, would ever conclude, this is all just a big accident. You have to be taught that because you would never conclude that on its own. The Bible tells us that while a fool says in his heart, there is no God, that an honest, intellectual, open-minded human has to conclude there is a God. There is a creator. Amen? And yet still, humanity questions him. Why is it that God's wrath is coming against mankind? Because we've denied something that's undeniable. We've taken something as conclusive and clear as God, and we've said, 
nah, I don't think so. We backhanded our own creator. We spit in his face and we've denied his existence. And Paul says, God's really not okay with that. We don't like hearing that, do we? We don't like hearing that God's not okay with some choice we've made because we look at ourselves as good people. And you know how we, de we define ourselves as good people? Well, I haven't killed anybody. I mean, I hope, amen? You haven't killed anybody, have you? <laughs> They're like, I'm about to. But God made himself obvious. In Romans 1.20, he said this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made so that men are without excuse. It's so simple. But what happens is when we deny God is we then have to replace him with something. Whenever we take God out of the equation, we have to, we have to put something else back in. So here's where we end up. Let's, let's catch up with verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, futile, their thinking, remember I'm talking about thoughts, became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that are made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. We are worshipers by nature. We are creatures who are created to worship the Creator. Whenever we fail to worship our Creator, we end up worshiping creation. Our problem isn't if we're going to worship. Our problem is what we're going to worship. We're either going to worship God or we'll worship something that's less than God. We'll either worship and serve our creator or we're going to worship and serve creation. Amen? The sun or the stars or the universe, or we'll worship and serve another person, or we'll even set ourselves up as most important. We don't call it God, but we become most important. But to do that, you first have to dismiss God. Now get that, get your mind around that. Thank you, God. You're now dismissed. I got this. Whether you're a Christian or not. You're worshiping something in your life right now. The question is, what? What's controlling your thoughts? What's controlling your time? What's controlling your finances? What are you living for? What are you working for? What do you, what do you desire most? What do you, what do you run to? What are you a fan of? How do you prioritize your life? What do you get excited about? about. It's either God or it's something less than God. 
And what Paul says is, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Think, think about having God and saying, hmm, what am I going to exchange God for? What am I going to empty my hands of and take hold of? We exchange God. We, give, we let him go. We dismiss him. And we pick up a lie. In the moment that we pick up a lie, I believe we actually enter into what is called self-justification. I don't have time today to go into this, but what we end up doing is we end up feeling like i got to justify who I am and the choices I've made and the decisions I've made in my life. And whatever we worship, we end up finding out however, however much we justify it, it demands a sacrifice from us. And probably the biggest caution in this message of all would be this. If you worship something other than God, it will cost you. Just because you deny something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because you don't believe in something doesn't make it not true. Just because you ignore something doesn't mean it's not there. It's all, it all starts with not being thankful to God. He said we ignored God and we came to the place in our life where we decided I don't need to be thankful to God. It is my opinion after studying the word of God and walking with him for more than five decades that one that, that two of the things that show us how we are doing spiritually have to do with whether or not in any given moment I'm able to say thank you to God my creator even when I don't like the circumstances I find myself in whether or not I put myself in those circumstances or others brought those circumstances on me am I able to say thank you to God he's either creator and sustainer of my life all the time, or he is not. And to be able to say thank you to God is to say you're the creator, I'm the creation, thank you. In this moment, I will find contentment. Those are the two big things. Am I able to be thankful to God, and am I able to say I am content before God? It's interesting that people that Paul describes here 2,000 years ago sound just like us, right? <laughs> That's because they failed to worship and serve God. They became consumed with sex, and they used their bodies in ways that God never intended, and it cost them big time, and it still does. Our idols always make us pay. And what happens is when we decide that there's no God, when there's nobody I have to worship, there's nobody I have to obey, there's nobody I have to listen to, there's nobody I have to serve. If there's no God, then there's no rules, and I can do whatever I want. Did you ever think that when you were living at home in, in dad's house, in mom's house, I can do whatever I want. That's fine. Do whatever you want. Oh, by the way, pay your bills too. I'm sorry, what? I said, you can pay your bills too, but, but, but I want to live how I want, and I still want you to pay the bill. Oh, I'm sorry. It does not work that way. I'm not sure where you got that idea. Probably went to public school. I'm not sure where you got, that was a, that was a not even fair, was it? That was not even close to, to fair. I'm sorry, that's not the way it works anywhere in life. But we come to God and we tell God, I, I, want, I want to please myself and I want you to be okay with that. 
And we look at other people and we say, I, I want to live the way I want to live. And you're the strange one if you don't accept me. And I bow down at the altar of self and I become what God calls a slave to sin. And sin always has consequences. And here's what it ends up looking like. This is the picture that Paul paints for us in verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with one another, with, with, rather with other men, and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, you see what you believe, what you think, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Can we pause for just a minute? He put gossips in this. I'm like, well, I don't want to go to church with these other people. Well, let's slow down here for a minute because a whole bunch of us wouldn't be here today. Am I right? Gossips. Gossips are just people who pass on information, but you don't understand. It's, it, but what I'm telling you is right. I know it's still gossip. Slanders. Slanders when you talk about other people. Slanders when you just, you just feel the need to talk about that sister of yours. And I'm not talking about sister in Christ. I'm talking about your family. When you're talking about that brother of yours and how he's always this and how she's always that. And I can't. And every time you open your mouth, it's to slander somebody. Stop. Stop. God haters. Insolent. Arrogant. Boastful. They, in, they, invent, they invent ways. They invent ways of doing evil. I'm bored with the evil that I'm doing. I'm going to invent a new way. They disobey their parents. I sure wish he'd have left that one. <laughs> sure wish he'd have left that one out. He said, when you get far from belief in following God, we will even disrespect the order that God has put into place. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, does that sound like a world that you want to live in? Not me. But unfortunately, it's the world we've created because we've denied the undeniable and we've replaced the irreplaceable. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and now we're on the throne, and it's just chaos. Our world is filled with hatred and murder and envy and greed and broken families and divorce and perversion. All the stuff we say we don't want. And it's interesting that he says, not only do we do all that stuff that we don't want, at knowing that it leads to death. But we also approve of those others who also do those things. 
And one of the ways we approve of them is we just, we make excuses for them. So when it comes to this topic of human sexuality, what is the biblical standard? When it comes to this subject, do we even know what the biblical standard is? And, and I might even ask, do we even care? Now, I, and I'm talking about generally, do we in America even care? Well, Jesus sets the standard. I'm going to give it to you very quickly. More accurately, actually, what he does is he actually repeats a standard that God had put into motion. Uh, two things. Number one, from Matthew 19. Jesus said, haven't you read that in the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Then the second part of that standard is 1 Corinthians 6.20, where he says, honor God with your body. In other words, our body is not intended to be used for sexual immorality, but rather for the Lord. So that's the standard. The standard is one, one man and one woman for life in marriage. Those are the boundaries. Sexual intimacy is intended to happen in marriage. Now, what about all those things that are outside of that biblical standard? Well, the Bible comes along and says what you need to do is flee from immorality. And flee literally means run away, throw the phone, Whatever you need to do to get away from whatever it is that's a temptation, flee from immorality. Kids in the backseat of the car, the guy who's viewing pornography, the woman who's texting her number to a guy so they can hook up later, run. Flee from immorality because all those things are outside the standard. And the extreme case that Paul writes about here is continuing to do those things that are outside the will of God and approving of those who are also doing those same things. And my question is, how do we make this shift in our culture and even as followers of Jesus Christ where there's, we've shifted from being so clear about what is true to being confused about what is true? According to our passage today, I believe the fundamental sin is idolatry. That's the reason for all this. Idolatry is nothing more than a distorted view of the truth that God has given us. Idolatry happens when we stop worshiping God and we stop, start worshiping ourselves. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Who would you say is the most influential person in your life? Take your time. I know most of you men are thinking, I think the answer is my wife. <laughs> that, that's, a good, that's a good start. Uh, but actually, the most influential person in your life is you. You get to decide who sits on the throne of your life. It's either going to be you or it's going to be God. It's not a seat built for two. When I'm on the throne, I live in fear because I'm always thinking, how is my decision going to affect me? When God is on the throne, I am out here looking at him on the throne, and I am asking, what does obedience mean to God? What does God want from me? God has never asked me to change anybody. He's asked me to be obedient, and that is important. Sometimes obedient means that I must suffer because I am living in obedience to God. Here, Paul uses this activity of homosexuality as an extreme example of just how depraved mankind becomes, how far man falls after the act of idolatry. And what's interesting is in our culture, it doesn't seem that extreme. That's how far we've gone. 
It doesn't seem unnatural. That's how far we've gone. Paul summarizes this slide to depravity by saying this. They knew God, but they ignored God, and they no longer gave God thanks. And knowing that God doesn't approve of such things, these people seek approval from one another. I have a friend who lived the homosexual lifestyle for about 15 years, and he told me that he became a Christian, and then he went to college, and uh, during his college years, he started living that homosexual lifestyle. And he said that word got back to the church in his hometown, and, quote, that's where I found rejection. Now, he quickly... He quickly added, in no way does he blame Christians or the church for the choices that he made. And I asked him, well, what would you have preferred the response from your fellow, uh, other Christians to be? And he said, it would have been refreshing if someone had said to me, you're making some bad choices. Let me help you find some answers. You see, homosexuality is not who someone is. It is what someone does. Write that down. What makes a person a homosexual in the biblical sense is when a man or woman involves himself sexually with someone from the same sex. We get to choose. This is a massive point. Choosing is one of the most spiritual things we do because God has given us the ability to choose. Everything that Paul lists as consequences of rejecting God, the list we read just a moment ago, about gossips and slanders and, and being disobedient to parent, all those things are matters of choice. We choose whether or not we're going to obey our parents. This is really important. Behavior is a choice. Not just some behavior, all behavior. Amen? This is really important because if you get your mind around this, what you'll realize is that we shouldn't throw out all of the thoughts about, you know what, if I change the way I think, I will change the way I live. You change what you believe and the way you think, and what you end up in is your actions become new, your habits become new, your character begins to change and be transformed, and you no longer are conforming to this world. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm getting ahead in Romans chapter 12. But what happens is when we begin to change the way we think, we begin to change the way we live. I find it so interesting that God has given humans the ability to choose. And what God is saying, I'm, not, I'm less interested in you coming and doing a thing on a Sunday morning, and I'm more interested in you coming and learning and growing and letting me live in your life and going out of here and changing the way you think. Because if I can get in you and you change the way you think, I'll use you to be the salt and light to change the way you live. We get to choose how we think. We get to choose how we act. We get to choose the attitudes that we're going to nurture. So back to my friend. He admitted to me, he goes, you know what? It was a choice that I had made, and I, he later repented of it. And I asked him, so how would you say that the church and society moved so far away to, to the point from the truth that we're reading in Scripture today to the point where we say homosexuality, used as the extreme example here by Paul, has become acceptable. 
And this is what he said. You can write these down. They'll be on the screen. He said this to me. That's an easy answer. I thought, well, please do tell me. And after he told me, I wrote it down. Number one, he said there's three steps. Number one, you tolerate something long enough and it becomes acceptable. I'm just going to sit on each one of these for just a minute so they can sink in to your mind. If you tolerate something long enough, it becomes acceptable. You tolerate gluttony long enough, it becomes acceptable. You tolerate disobeying your parents, it becomes acceptable to you, and you'll begin to justify, well, mom is this or dad is that. You begin, you're a gossip, and you begin to just, you, if, you, if you tolerate something long enough, it'll become acceptable. Number two, if you accept something long enough, it becomes familiar. You accept it long enough, now it's familiar. Is this? Number three. And when it becomes familiar long enough, it becomes right, even righteous. And this is where you go back to Judges, uh, Bishop, and you, you read that passage, and every man does what is right in his own eyes. That's where we are as a culture. That's why what you're, when you come together as a church, when we come together as a church, it is so important. This is not about doing something so that God says, I'm so happy you were here and you did that Sunday thing. It's because we so desperately need to be reminded who God is and who we are. We so desperately need to be in God's word. I don't, need, I don't need to just feel good about who God is. I need to know that God is with me. And I need to be reminded to have my beliefs sharpened and shaped by his word. So let me conclude with this. How do we respond to those who have made choices that are outside God's standard? I would tell you that you, you should approach folks like that and me if I step outside of God's standard with grace and truth. You remember the woman that was caught in adultery? There were people there, men, who wanted to stone the woman because she was guilty. Now, never mind that they didn't drag the man who was involved with her into the town square. They were humiliating her, and what did Jesus do? Jesus showed grace. He protected her. He said, whoever of you is out without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. He protected her. When someone has stepped outside the grace, they don't need your judgment. They need your love and protection. He protected him. And then when everybody was gone and the danger had left, Jesus looked at this woman and, and, and said, um, you can go your way. She said, sir, I'm sorry, what? He said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and what did he tell her? Sin no more. He, grace protected her. The truth set her free. When I work with people on a daily basis, I just, I deal with them on one hand with grace, on the other with truth. Truth without grace is too hard. None of us can survive truth without grace. But grace without truth is meaningless. It's so, it's like trying to eat Snickers for five years. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> but at the end of five years, we may be doing a funeral for you. <laughs> but let me just say to you, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, it comes down to this. Who will you trust most? 
your family, your friends, your feelings, or your Savior. Make the conscious decision to follow God's will. Honor God with your body and flee sexual immorality. No matter who you are, no matter how, how you are or what you've done or whatever you're tempted by, I just want you to know that God loves you and there's room for you at the cross. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for the ungodly. That's us. There's room at the cross for every single one of us. But I want to remind you of something really, really important, that while we're all welcome to come as we are to the cross, God's plan is that nobody leaves the cross unchanged. This passage, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, says this, or don't you know that wrongdoers are going to, won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and he's writing to the church, that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That's what you were. That's not who you are. The identity, when someone says your identity is based, upon, is based upon whether you are male or female, that is a distortion and it's a lie of the devil. Your identity is in Christ. You've been washed. You've been justified. You have been sanctified. But if you're struggling today in any area, we're not here to say that, hey, unless you're like us, you're not going to go to heaven. But we are here to say that we're like you. We sin too. We struggle too. Can I get an amen for that? We need help too. We come to the cross. We come to Jesus. And you're not going to find judgment whenever you get to the cross. You're going to find grace. There's grace to cover your sins. There's grace to cover your hurt. Amen? But I want you to also know this. The gospel doesn't just save us. The gospel that Bishop talked about last week that saves us from our sin, it doesn't just save us. It sends us. Once we meet Jesus, once we hear about who God is and what he has done, it changes us, but we still wonder sometimes, how do I respond to the violence that's out in our world? How do I respond to the injustice, to the strife, to the conflict, to the perverted justice in our world? How do I respond on Facebook? I will start by saying, don't. <laughs> but how do I respond to laws being made in New York State? What Do I need to step out there and do so? How, how do I respond? Have, has, have any other followers of Christ ever felt in your spirit like I need to do something? Like, what, how, how am I supposed to? Tell me, God, how am I supposed to respond? What you may not know is that Paul wrestled with that very same question. What you have read here in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he took from the prophet Habakkuk. Years ago, Prophet, Prophet Habakkuk came to God and said, God, there's so much violence and there's so much strife and the justice is perverted and nobody follows your laws, God. And what am I? And it looks like your people are falling behind and the unrighteous are getting ahead. What do you want me to tell your people? And God was silent for a time. And he, he went to God again and said, I, I demand, tell me what I'm supposed to tell your people. And what he came back with, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And this became the core of Paul's theology. He wrote about it here in Romans. He wrote it in Hebrews. And he wrote it in the book of Galatians. He said, you go tell my people that the righteous one will live by their faithfulness. When somebody says, Dan, what do you, what, what is, what, what, how should I live? What does God want me to do? I would just tell you, 
Sir, ma'am, you live by your faithfulness. You trust God. You just let him sit on the throne and you live by your faithfulness. What I've discovered is that under pressure, we will tend to trust the one who is sitting on the throne. And when it's me, it's a mess. Because either I'm on the throne or God is on the throne. Now, I don't know where you are in this whole thing. Hopefully, you're not worried about verses 18 through 32 because you're holding on to verses 16 and 17. You're not ashamed of the gospel, and it's changing your life. But for some of you, God isn't God, isn't God in your life. Even if you believe in him, you're not living it. You're denying God by your actions. What, you're worship, what are you worshiping right now in your life? That really, that's really what it comes down to. Who's number one? What's the focus of your life? What's the priority? Is there anything that is shaping your life and determining your destiny more than God? Because why? Because we're all worshiping something right now. Is it the right thing? Because if it's not, it'll cost you. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. You don't want that for you either, do you? So we end with where we began. What I believe, what I believe, not what the church believes, not what my kids or my, my parents believe, not what my husband or wife, what I believe is what I will think about. What I think about, I will act on. What I act on will become habits in my life. Those habits will become the character which will lead to the destiny. If you'll stand with me right now, I would like to pray for you. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Father, that you have given us everything we need to live for you and to live well. I pray, Father, that you will bless each person who is in this room this morning. Help us to be faithful to you, to walk with you, to trust you in everything. And those of us who are in difficult circumstances or situations, whether, whether we are there by our own accord or whether we are there just because of circumstances, I pray, Father, that you will help us to be courageous, that we will turn back full face to you and we will say, God, why don't you be on the throne? You, you sit on the throne and give me the strength and the courage to follow you. We beg you, God. I know that there are people in this room who certainly are in difficult life circumstances. They don't know how they're going to take the next step or what tomorrow holds. But we know, Father, that you're a good God and you have asked us only to trust you in every situation, and so we will. Let us trust you. Father, use us to your will and to your end. Thank you for your word and the truth of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and together we say, amen. Amen. amen.